Amen. Well, guys, grab hold of a Bible, if you would, and make your way to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 tonight. Luke chapter 10, making our way on Wednesday nights through the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter, and going to be finishing up a chapter tonight, hoping that God would meet us and hoping that you would be just joining us in there. So hopefully you got a Bible. You guys online in our overflow, saying the same. Help you have a Bible, open it up with us. And let's ask for God right now to take His Word and just give us ears to hear from it, what He has for us. Would you join me? Father, thank You for this, for Your, your Word that speaks life to us. Help us to hear it tonight. Help, Lord. By the power of your spirit, by the faithfulness of who you are, help. We ask right now that you would just help us to, to know what you're saying to us and that you draw us after the life you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke 10, you know, we think about what's laid before us, and I want to just remind you as we begin tonight that in one way, everything that God has for us can be summed up in four words. Love God, love people. You've heard it so many times. You see it. This is literally a picture from the wall that when you walk in, maybe you've gotten just used to it. But in one sense, I love that Jesus is able to tell us in so many ways that sums up everything that he has for us. Yeah, that's exactly where we are tonight. We're in that section here in Luke's gospel where that issue is going to be brought right to the forefront. And and Jesus is going to speak to us this evening, even about what that looks like for our lives. Notice how it begins. You have your Bibles there. Luke, 25, Luke 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pausing, thinking just for a moment, understand when it says lawyer, it's not talking here about a, a litigating lawyer that would go and sue somebody or, or represent you in court. When it uses the term lawyer here, it's speaking of a, of a scribe, of one who's kind of over, just watching over the scriptures. We would probably say in our culture, it's kind of like a Bible scholar, someone who spends his days trying to really understand what God is saying through his word. And so he's coming to Jesus and he's testing him. He's coming to him, and his question to Jesus is, well, what do I need to do? How do we have eternal life? Speaking both of salvation, but even the life that God has for us. That's that's a central question, isn't it? I mean, that's the question that is so desperately needed, and in the midst of everything that's there, and exactly where what we would long for in our lives, another would as well. And so Jesus answers him in verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? What you're reading of it. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love the neighbor as yourself. His answer is to sum up in many ways just the entirety of the Old Testament with these four words. Yeah, love God, love people. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just speaks to him in verse 28 and says, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So it's it's kind of an interesting beginning. Jesus knows he's dealing with this man and walking through that. And yet he tells him, hey, this is what you need to do. This is where life is found. I want to tell you that's true, but we need to kind of get there just for a moment. Please understand as Jesus is telling this, he's not giving some other access uh, to God. In one sense, he has just summed up the entirety of the Old Testament. That the Old Testament can be summed up, he says, everything that God has for us can be summed up in these two commandments. Love God, love people. 
But what you need to make sure you understand is as we hear that, is there's no way to do that outside of, uh, of Jesus' work in our life. I mean, if there's any sense right now when I even say that, like everything what God wants to you, for you is to love God and love people, if there's any sense that you could kind of respond to that and say, okay, that's not too bad, <laughs> that's not too hard, then you have no idea what you're saying. I mean, if you could look on that and think, well, that's easy, that's, that's like a, okay, so what else do you got? You know, I mean, that's like, you know, can't, no, he just summed up everything, but everything God has for us is to draw us into a right relationship to God in Christ, and then to draw us into a right relationship with people, and what we have discovered, what is true throughout all of Scripture is you have no capability of doing that. All of us have gone astray. All of us have no ability to, to live perfect lives. And yet Jesus is kind of putting this before this man right now there, and it's needed to be understood. I think about it this way. Charles Spurgeon and his commentary on this said, let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. He says, in one sense, we could look at this and see an impossibility that we could ever get there in our own. But it is what Jesus did for us. It is what he accomplished for us in the gospel. And in that sense, he draws us to do that no longer under legal, you know, kind of requirement, but now under love so that our life is meant to be like, that's how I'm trying to do this. No longer earning God's favor, but living that. Well, there's so much there, but again, you just need to understand that's, that's absolutely clear. He's speaking the truth in a way that this man would have clearly understood, that he would have known, okay, well, yeah, here's what, what you have. Here's what God is saying. Hey, love God, love people. The right response at this moment would have been an honest, you know, like, well, that sounds great, Lord, but um, I, I fail at that every day. I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, how do I, how do I handle, you know, my own brokenness? How do I look at what you have? It would have been the, the way that could have been responded to, and it should be the way you respond. That in one sense, to look at this, if there's any sense, again, that you could look at this and go, oh, love God, love people, I got it, then you don't understand it because you, you haven't done that well. I haven't done that well today, even just if we were to use the last 24 hours. And, and so there's a need for us just to kind of say, okay, that's what he's speaking to, and yet this man is kind of walking in this. He's, he's kind of wrestling through this, and so out of this, Jesus is going to use a couple of things that help him see that better. Now, before we dive there, I just want to tell you that the rest of the chapter gives us two, two stories, two, two accounts that are some of the most famous in the Bible. Uh, we're going to see the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus gives, we're going to see the story of Mary and Martha, and not everybody is going to immediately dive into that, but many of you are like, I know exactly where we're going. I mean, I know th these are like famous, and they are, I, but I almost wish you'd never heard them. I almost wish that we could just say, I wish you could hear them for the first time, because they're powerful. They're only found in Luke's gospel, uh, though we have four gospels that, you know, and many times give us multiple views of the same thing. These two accounts are only found here. This parable and this story of Mary and Martha. But hear me now, in many ways, what they're going to deal with is this very reality of, of both our failure and, and where we need to get closer to this place that what God is drawing for your life and mine is to be a space that we would love God, <laughs> that we would love people. Well, let's go back. So we're watching through this man. There's this lawyer, this Bible scholar of the Old Testament scriptures, and he's asked Jesus again this question. So what do I need to get, do to get saved? And They've kind of summed up the entirety of the Old Testament. Like, okay, love God, love people. It's like, okay, that's good. That's what it's basically saying. And now this man responds by asking Jesus a further question. Verse 29, but he, that is this Bible scholar, this lawyer, 
wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's really where this is going. That's what's going to open up this incredible parable. But it, you need to even hear what he's saying, because right off the bat, it's giving us a clue to, to where this man is. He's wanting to justify himself. That's not a question that is, um, what's the right thing for God, God to have for my life? Where am I supposed to go? He's wanting to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm good, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, wanting to say, you know, that there's some sense that I'm doing okay, even though I'm not. And he's wanting to kind of justify that. I mean, you guys get that, right? I think you probably even understand the language. The idea of justifying somebody's self is they did something wrong, and they want to explain to you why it's okay that they did wrong. I mean, again, for some of you parents who get this better than others, you probably had that. You know, like your kids do something incredibly wrong, and then there they are, and they got a story. Well, mom, dad, if you just could understand. I mean, if I could just tell you why everything happened. And, you know, I've had so many, as a parent, I remember so many of those conversations. Like, you would have just done better to say I'm sorry. You just would have been better just to say, like, I, I did it. I, I, I know, shouldn't have done it. Should, you know, instead of just kind of trying to justify yourself, that never actually works well. It actually kind of just shows right off the bat just a lack of repentance, a lack of brokenness that is not an encouraging thing when you're trying to bring somebody to do the right thing. But that's where this man is. And so out of that, Jesus gives this amazing parable. And in many ways, it's such a powerful story. Now, I know you've heard it. I know you, you recognize it, but I want you just to let it wash over you for a moment. We just want to read through this account that Jesus gives, and to the best of your ability, I'd like you to try to imagine it, try to put yourself there, so you're kind of watching this whole thing, and then allow it to kind of begin moving us towards what God has for us. So it tells us this way in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, There's a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, departed leaving him half dead. So you got to imagine it, right? You're kind of spinning this. You, there's this man who leaves the city of Jerusalem, going you know, down the road to the city of Jericho, finding himself in a place that was a dangerous place. We know even from hist historical records, there really was a dangerous place. So this isn't one of those things that they're like, man, I can't even imagine. Like, oh man, he was traveling that road. <laughs> That's a dangerous road. And, and yeah, he's on that road and he got you know, just jumped on by thieves. They stole everything. They beat him up. They've, they've left him half dead on the side of the road. Verse 31 now, by chance, it just happened, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. A priest, a Levite, these were the religious people of the day, both those who were over the area, both those who were serving in the midst of that. And Jesus kind of tells this story. He's like, yeah, here are these guys that are supposed to be, and they just see this, and they they just go by, right on by. They just ignore the pain. They ignore what's happening. They, they leave the whole thing. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus tells this story. I mean, he's given us this, this incredible thing, and you're kind of watching through this whole thing. 
And once more, you just got to see it. I mean, here's this Samaritan. He comes down and he sees the man. He, you know, jumps down there, finds out what's wrong, loads him onto his animal, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, puts him up for uh, space, pays for it. I mean, there's an incredible kindness. There's an incredible gentleness. And it's just an amazingly beautiful story. Now, in this story, obviously, the, the part of it is this contrast of, of one who cares and, and the others who ignore. But there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more in this story, and I just want to press on it for a moment, and, and we'll get to kind of maybe the main nugget that's in it. But certainly one of the keys in it that it, you're not paying attention, you might not understand even what's happening, is that he's dealing a little bit with how this man's asking this question. Like, why, you know, who's my neighbor? Who, who can I show compassion to? Who can I leave out of that? And in so doing, you just need to understand it is a story that is dealing, it's a racial story. It's a story about racism and much of what's happening there. Now, I'm going to explore that with you for a moment, but I just want to just pause and say, here's what I just noted. When I, when I say that, that's going to hit you in one of two ways. Some of you, you're like, oh man, that's really good. I'd like to know about that because this is like a big deal. And I mean, everybody's talking about racism today. It's on the news and everybody, and, and you're like, well, that's cool. I want to see what this has to say. But there's somebody else here right now. You're like, oh man, I don't want to hear another thing about racism. I don't want to, I don't even want to process that. I can't believe you're going to try to say that, Pastor Jim. Hey, put each, both of those aside. And I just want to tell you, I just want you to see that and feel the story because here's what you need to understand. To make the hero of this story a Samaritan was a shocking thing. Uh, the Samaritan, I mean, you just need to understand if there's racism anywhere, this is one of the high places in history where it existed. Now, the truth of the matter is this, racism is a very real thing. It's always been there. It's a sin issue. It's not a cultural issue. It's not something that can be solved by culture. It really is a sin issue, but it finds itself over and over in culture. And there in Israel, at this point in time, there's an incredible racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans, they were Jews who had been taken away captive by Assyria, and they'd come back and they'd intermarried. So they pretty much had lost their Jewish identity. They, they don't know the heritage. They don't know really what much is there. Very much intermixed with the culture. And so the Jews, those who had held on to their heritage, held on to their lineage, they have a very strong, you know, just animosity. Now, you can see this throughout Scripture, but I think in one of the stories that most of you guys would know, in John 4, we have this story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, and, and he talks to her and asks her for a drink of water. And you might remember her response. He says, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. He's like, why are you talking to me? Like, you, Jews don't talk to, to, to Samaritans, and you would even ask something for me? I don't even get it, because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans, and they didn't. It was the kind of place that for a Jew, a Samaritan was the, the worst off-scouring that they could ever see. They, they saw them as a, as a plague, as a pariah. A good Jew would not even go through a city of Samaria. They'd go all the way around any place that was Samaria just to avoid them. To have a, the mere shadow of a Samaritan fall upon you made you unclean in their minds. I mean, to talk to one, you didn't. To ask them for help, you never. I mean, that in their minds, there wasn't anything more offensive, or again, if you can say it, again, just understand. Yeah, there's this racial tension. They, have, they, they look upon these, and, and for them, it becomes this place where they look upon and think, we want nothing to do with them. 
So again, for Jesus then to tell this story and to make the hero a Samaritan, it's, it's beyond shocking. I wish I could just, and he's like, I can't believe you did that. I mean, I can't believe you just, I mean, you're going to tell, I mean, you're going to say a Samaritan did the right thing while a priest and a Levite did the wrong thing. I mean, that's just, wow. I mean, it's meant to be just mind-numbingly shocking, but again, kind of drawing us to understand that in so doing, he's kind of touching on part of the reality. And part of the reality that exists both in racial places and in places in, in, in this is that we have a capacity of kind of putting circles in our life of people that, you know, well, I'll help this kind of person. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be nice to this kind of people. And, and Jesus would talk about it in different places where he'd say, okay, if you're only nice to people that are nice to you, what good is that? It's like the world can do that. But we have a propensity of doing that, that we would say, okay, well, yeah, I need to love people, but you don't mean like all people, right? I mean, I know you said love people, but you didn't really mean like love everybody. I mean, what you really meant is I could love lovable people, or I could love people that I like. I mean, you, I could love people that, that fall into some bubble that I'm comfortable with, and that's where this lawyer is. That's where this, this man is. He's like, I'm fine loving people as long as long as you don't mean that I don't have to like, I mean, because certainly you don't mean like love Samaritans. I mean, certainly you don't mean love people who are outside of that. And that's the scary thing. Now, I don't want to spend a bunch more time on that except to say Jesus is, is, is just very powerfully pressing this upon us. And it's worth our just pausing for a moment. And, and, and let that just soak there for a moment because here's the honest thing. Again, I don't know where you are and, and I don't need to even dive into it. Some of you are aware. I mean, you're kind of aware that there are kind of prejudices in your life and, and racial tensions in your life. Some of you don't. Some of you are like, man, I don't do that. I'm so, I, I love everybody. I'm just good with everybody. I just want to tell you in the kindest way that I possibly can, that's probably not true. That's probably not true. You have somehow, you know, you, 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 but you just kind of have your own bubble. Uh, maybe it's a, a racial bubble, maybe it's a, a, a cultural bubble, maybe it's a whatever it would be, but we have a propensity of doing that, and that's the problem, is that we can take God's commands and make them doable by making them less, like, I don't, you don't actually mean to do that, because I don't have to, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing, is he's trying to show us that we do that, that, that by telling the story this way, by making the Samaritan the hero, it should do a place of just kind of at least asking us to confront that. Now, again, I don't know where that is in your life. And I recognize, again, racism is a big issue in our, in our culture right now, and it's, it's divided, and people have a lot of opinions. But it would be worth us just saying, God, help me to work through that. I mean, just, you know, help me to see where I have this propensity to, to kind of do bubbles and say, hey, these are places. Help it to be that I can look and say, okay, there's something happening here. And the way that he tells this story is touching on that. Well, hold that there, but it draws us a little bit more because in many ways as Jesus is telling this, and again, he's done this a crazy kind of shocking story by making this Samaritan the hero, but then Jesus just asks him a question. Go back and see it in verse 36. As Jesus told the story of the, about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, he said, so which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? I mean, I just told you a story. Which one did a good job? I mean, which one was actually neighborly? Which one was actually, you know, loving? And so the guy has to answer. He said, well, you know, the one that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, right, go and do likewise. 
In many ways, this draws us to a part of this understanding that part of the story of, of, of the Good Samaritan, part of the impact of this is to call us not to just thinking about it, but to doing. That it, it's meant to be practical. It's meant to tell us, go and do likewise. Now, that's a big command. And part of it, I just need to say, part of the problem is that we have so many things we could be aware of, and sometimes it just can be overwhelming that it could almost make us like, how do we even do that? I think about it this way. Alexander McLaren, in his sermon uh, on this passage, said it this way. He says, this doesn't mean running after every need that might present itself. After all, the Samaritan didn't establish a hospital for unfortunate travelers. It's not like, okay, well, we can have to carry all the sorrows and all the problems of the world because you can't. I can't. But it does mean, he says, to concern ourselves for the ones plain before us, both in social and spiritual needs. The world would be a very changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows that are plain before him. That's what I want you to think about for a moment. And as we kind of process that through, let me just say it again. There's a danger of living theoretically. A danger that when we think about these things, instead of actually, you know, looking at our life and thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do? We spend our lives doing this. And so this is what happens in a lot of the racial talks right now and things that are happening on the news and happening in social media and other places is people talk about things that they're not actually dealing with. They're not actually their world. They're like, well, you know, I'm just kind of thinking, what would it be like if this was happening? And, and it's all very, can be very theoretical in the sense, much like this man's question was, well, you know, you don't mean like love everybody. Instead, the way Jesus tells the story and the way that it works is it's a call to live right now where you are. Instead of asking, you know, I think about it this way, a couple weeks ago we did in, in Daniel 4, we talked about the idea of living even if, and just one of my favorite parts of, of Daniel 4, and we talked about kind of the contrast, like you could live your life uh, saying, what if, you know, what if this happens, or you can say even if, and I want to just tell you, hey, that's a powerful way to live your life, like even if that happens. But I want to add to that, if that can make any sense in this moment, just to kind of ask like, so what is? like right before me right now. I mean, it's not a question of, you know, what would I do in some kind of proverbial, you know, situation. It's kind of a question of, well, who do you want me to love right now? I mean, what's happening in my, I mean, what's plain before me? I mean, this Good Samaritan, it just, it just, it was just right there. And and when we think about loving people and, and what that looks like, in many ways, that should be our almost daily ask. Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, Help me to see the things that are happening around me and, and help me to know how you want me to respond. Now, that, that's going to press us outside of ourselves. It's certainly meant to do that. But it's partly what Jesus is doing as he kind of just shares this is he's giving us this incredible place where we're thinking through love God, love people. By telling the story of the Good Samaritan, he's drawing us to a place of actually seeking to do that. Now, again, I don't know if this is you, but I'm just going to tell you it is me. I can have a propensity to live a theoretical, like, well, what would, what, what would I do if that happened? And what would I do if that happened? And what would I do in that situation? And instead of just thinking, Lord, what do you want, where, what's happening in my world right now? What have you put before me? And, and, and God, to, to just begin to allow that to press me outside of my comfort zones and, and say, God, help me to love people. Help me to love people right in front of me right now. Help me to love the people that you put in my life right now. And that's partly what Jesus is doing to this man. It's like, hey, you just go and do. You go and do likewise. And I think it's just a powerful exhortation. Like, go and do this. Go and love. <laughs> go, go and try to love people. Go and seek to say, okay, I want to I seek to walk in this place, look for those places where God would have us to do that. And it's certainly meant to be the way that it works. 
it's certainly meant to be that kind of place. And, and it's honestly one of those places that I'll do that. I don't know how this works in your life, but sometimes as, as, I, as I process through a day, as I'm processing maybe in the morning as I head into the day, or sometimes in the evening at the end of the day, these are the kind of questions I'll ask. It's like, Lord, is there, what do you, what, is there something you want me to do today? I'll begin the day. It's like, Lord, I just want to be open. Like, is there somebody that I need to reach out to? Is there something I need to do? And, and I just spend some time asking him, Lord, did I, is there something? And then it's not uncommon that I'll end the day just kind of asking the Lord, so like, where did I miss it? <laughs> you know, where did I do what the priest and the Levite did, that I went, walked right by something? that there was something that I could have or should have done today that I failed to do that. And God is really faithful. He's really faithful to kind of bring that back and like, oh, that's, yeah, you, you are in your own world right there. It's like, oh, I was again, you know. It's, you know Lord, for, but it is a place of coming, just recognizing, God, I, I fall short of this, but I want to do it. I want to live a life that's loving God and loving people. And that kind of place, just, you know, not just living in the three of the radical, but in the practical. Like, Lord, what are you putting in my life that I should be doing today. That's really part of the, of the emphasis of the incredible story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, leave that. And, and so we're kind of walking that through. That's the second commandment. The second commandment is to love people, but the first one is to love God. And it's interesting that this next account really dives into that in a way that helps us to get there. And it's a familiar story of Mary and Martha. Notice it with me in verse 38. It says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mary and Martha, they're a big part. They, 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 you find them over and over in Jesus' life. Mary's going to be the one that's going to be the, or the first one at the, at the tomb when Jesus resurrects. She's so much a part of this. Their brother Lazarus, he's going to be the one that Jesus raises. I mean, it's an incredible story. So they, they, they live in Bethany, not far from Jerusalem, and it's just you constantly find Jesus' life interacting with them. So there is a, a sense of friendship, if you want to think about it that way, of connection. And so Jesus is traveling. He shows up at their house, and you just got to watch it. So let's just kind of work through the story, and then we'll come back and, and talk about what's here. So we're watching this whole thing, and so you get there in verse 38. You know, he enters the village, and then there's this lady Martha, and she just welcomes him into her house. I mean, she, she, she's, she's doing this whole thing, but she had a sister Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. So you need to pause there and just watch that. So they're in the house. Martha's busy. We'll come back to that in a moment. But Mary, she, she's spending time with Jesus. She's sitting at his feet and hearing his words. Now, I don't know if that sounds like an odd thing, but it's a very common thing within Jewish circles, by the way. That's how they often, how, how just teachers would teach children, how teachers would teach people that, you know, you would just kind of plop down as they taught and sit at their feet. And so it was a, a, a actual reality, but also a picturesque thing to say, hey, just soaking in what you have to say. I'm just here to listen to that, and that's Mary. I mean, here she is just sitting at Jesus' feet, and again, I just love the way it says it. She sat at his feet, and she just heard. She just heard. She heard his word, heard what Jesus was saying. Amazing story. But, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. I love the way it's just worded for us here. It says, you know, Martha, she's there. She's in the same space that where Mary is, but she is distracted. And she's distracted with much serving. It's not that hard to imagine, is it? I mean, but you can think about it for a moment. Jesus is there. 
I mean, she's probably running around. I mean, like, okay, you know, everybody got everything, you know, got, got some snacks, you know, anybody, got, anybody need some water, we got coffee brewing, and, you know, oh, yeah, you know, go, go clean up the bathroom real again real fast, and she's just, she's got a hundred things on her mind, you know, just to, to make this stay good for Jesus, and, and she, she just has so much weight there, but Mary's not joining her in her, in her stress. She's not joining her in her, in, 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 her, in her worry. So it's a crazy story that Martha actually approaches Jesus thinking that Jesus is going to be on her side. You know, she just comes to him and says, Lord, you know, um, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I mean, just, I was just, I'm just trying to imagine this for a moment. It's like, you know, Jesus, tell her, get up. I mean, we have a lot of things to be doing, and she, she, we don't have time to be doing what she's doing. You know, this is so much, I mean, and, and she totally expects at this moment, for Jesus to join her. But Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Jesus steps in here. He defends Mary, tells Martha no. It's a very loving kind of rebuke, I mean, you could just hear it, right? Martha, Martha, like, you are so distracted, you know, and yet he's able to communicate to her and just speak into her, her world and into our world things that we need to hear. So again, incredible story. It's one of my favorites, by the way. It's definitely one of my favorite stories in the scripture. It definitely touches things that are near and dear to my heart, and so I, I have just a huge sense that there's no way for me to unpack this in just a few moments, but I'm going to try. And so let's come at it from a different direction. So we're, we're watching this whole thing. There's a few things we need to make sure that we don't misunderstand and then step towards what we need to take out of the story. Maybe we just need to begin by making sure that we understand that busyness is not bad. Laziness is actually a sin. It, we, we shouldn't look at this story and think that it's just always bad that Martha was busy. Sometimes you can look at it that way, and I think some people can take this story and almost feel if they have a lot of things on their plate, if there's a lot of things they're worried about, that maybe, you know, even in kind of Christian circles will say, man, I'm just being a Martha, you know, just as me right now, just I'm so weighted with this. But please understand, if this is not a slam on that. I mean, there's so much in the Bible that calls us to be busy, to be faithful. There's so many Proverbs that show that just the just the wrongness of laziness. And so there's no sense right now that God is exalting laziness or saying that being busy is necessarily a bad thing. That's not the problem. So please just kind of take that for what it's worth for a moment and just be rescued because that's not the issue. It's not an issue of, hey, I have a lot of things I need to do right now. The problem is she's distracted. And again, I just love the way it said it. She's distracted with much serving. There's a quote, and it's not a, a biblical quote, it's actually from Socrates, but it's one of those ones that I, I really love thinking through in this moment, thinking through uh, of this, and it was simply a warning that just said, you know, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And I just think that's one of those things just to, I mean, for me, it's, it's so well articulated in that moment. It's like, yeah, that, that, there, there's a barrenness to being too busy. There, there's, there's a way that you can allow so much to be a part of your world that instead of, even though it seems like you're full, even though you're busy, even though you're occupying time, there can, there can be, at the same moment, an absolute barrenness, an absolute just emptiness. And that's what this, this account is giving us to, is, is again, we watch this and it says, you know, Martha is distracted, and there in verse 40, with much serving. 
And the, the point drawing us is, is to see in this is that there's a danger that this busyness of life can keep you from the main thing. That it could be said so simply, the main thing in our life is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is what we've already talked about. It's to love God. It's to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The danger is to get so busy that we neglect that space, which is the most important space in our life. The most important space. And so we, we watch this whole thing, and, and Jesus just tells her, there's really only one thing. There's really only one thing that is the most important thing, that is the needed thing. And that one thing is, again, Jesus. And that one thing is to be a part of that and, and walk in that. And guys, it's so desperately what we need to hear. I'm searching for how to say this better. I'm searching, just thinking, how can I, in just moments, kind of communicate to you that the most important thing in your life that you've been made for, the thing that, that satisfies, the thing that you've been designed for, is a relationship with God. Now, that's not true for some of you. It's true for all of you. There's not anything else that will ever satisfy. There's not anything else that that will ever bring life. There's not any, I mean, God's greatest intention for your life, better than anything else that you would ever accomplish in your life, is the relationship that you'd have with Him. Love God, love people. That you would love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. The scary thing is that what can keep us away from that? See, when Martha, she, she's distracted, and, and there's definitely, again, a couple layers of this that find itself so deeply concerning. She is distracted. She's so distracted that she's not spending that time with Jesus. But she almost just doesn't even see it as valuable at this moment. Or she sees like, hey, that could happen later. So again, I'm just, I'm so just watching this whole story when she comes to Jesus. Like, Jesus, tell Tell her to quit spending her time doing the most important thing in the whole universe, you know? We have, you know, bathrooms to clean, you know? I mean, we have, we have hors d'oeuvres to put up. I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I mean the, the most important thing in the entire universe, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, and it's a crazy question, but she actually believes it for that moment. In that moment, for her, the most important things were these other things. And I want to tell you, part of this story, part of this account right now, is to cause us to see this and, and to recognize where we could be in the midst of this story, in the midst of this count, and just recognize where it is. And I want to say this in the kindest, gentlest way I can. But here's the thing. For some of you, you are distracted. And, and you're, you're not spending the time with the Lord. It's not consistent in your life. And the funny thing is the distractions are not even that important. I mean, it's weird the things that you can waste your time on, the, the things that nobody would ever even feel like it's important, but it's so important that you don't have time to pray. And it's so important that you don't have time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him and ask him to speak to you through his word. And, and our lives can become so incredibly busy and we can be so distracted. And, and again, I love that Jesus just speaks to this. He just speaks to Martha there in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But there's only one thing. There's only one thing that is really needed. And Mary's chosen that. 
You know, think about that. That, that, that concept rolls all the way through the scriptures. In fact, uh, in David, in his life, he gives it to us in Psalm 27, verse 4. Some of you know, I mean, you don't have to have, it, have like a life verse, but if you have a life verse, it's sometimes just one that you constantly think through. This is mine. This is my life verse. And, and, and so David, he, but he looks at his life and he says, God, there's just one thing I want. There's one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David, a man after God's own heart, he comes before God and says, you know, if I could only have one thing, there's just one thing. There's one, I, I want it more than anything else in the world. I want it more than money. I want it more than success. I want it more than, than you know, things going well. There's not anything I want more than this. He's God, I want, I, I want to know you. I, want, I desire to seek you. I want to pursue you. I want to be in your presence, which is the idea of the house of the Lord. I want to see your beauty. I want to know you. And that makes, in that sense, just the heart of David. But what I want to tell you is that becomes the heart all the way through Scripture that God is longing for us to have, that, that's emphasized in David, it's emphasized in Paul, where he'll say, you know, one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, I'm pressing after Christ, I'm pressing after Him. It's like one thing. And here's Mary where she's saying the same thing. It's like one thing. And so Jesus says, hey, there's one thing that's needed. And he just tells us, hey, Mary chose that. Mary chose that. And he says, it's, it's, it's the good part. And, and Jesus he says, I'm not going to let that be taken away from her. So much could be said at this moment, but I think in many ways it's not that complicated. And if I'm not careful, I'll make it complicated. It's a call to choose it. Putting Jesus first in your life is never going to happen by accident. It's never going to be like, well, yeah, you know, I just kind of slipped into it. I don't even know how it happened. Mary chose it. She chose, like, this is important to me. Spending time with Jesus. I mean, sitting at his feet, hearing his word. That's, this is, this is, this is more important. And she chose that. And Jesus defends it. Jesus, he defends it to, to, to Martha. He encourages it. He speaks it in Mary. And there's just absolutely no doubt that as we think that through, it's exactly what he's encouraging for you and I. So again, not, you're not answering me, you're not answering anybody else around you, but I'm wanting it just to press in upon your life and just kind of ask you, you know, okay, so Mary, Martha, I mean, where are you in the midst of this? Some of you, again, you're, you, you are Martha. Uh, you, you, somehow life has gotten so busy for you, and you're so distracted that even sitting here right now or even joining us online, your brain's going. You're thinking about other things and you're having a hard time even listening because you can't, you can't seem to step into that. And I want to tell you there's something so scary about that. You're missing the most important thing of life. You're missing the thing that God made you for, that the only thing that will ever satisfy your life is Him. And I want to just tell you, if that's you, I just want to call you away from that to choose the good. Some of you, maybe, maybe you really are married. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody tonight and you're like, man, I figured this out. Jesus is the most important thing in my life and I don't let anything get in the way of that. I spend time with him, I sit at his feet, I talk to him, I listen to him and, and, and you would maybe be able to get up and say it better than I'm saying if you're legitimately kind of that person and you would discover that opens you up to incredible potential in Christ and joy and, and everything that's there. That'd be amazing. But for many of us, the thing is that we kind of live in between. We, we kind of live where we're like, we have these Mary moments, and then we have these Martha moments, and we have these Mary moments, and we have these Martha moments, and it's kind of like, well, I didn't know which one to be at the time. And, and if, if, if that's true, and I think it probably is, 
then the point of this is just to come back and say, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I see it. I mean, I see what's happening here. I see what's playing out. I, I'm watching Martha, and the scary thing is she doesn't even know it's happening. And then to think, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to just recognize that Mary recognizes the most important thing in the entire world is this. And so you're, you're watching through this whole thing. You're watching through this place where, where, where he's calling us to walk in that and see that. And so put it back together in the midst of, of, of our story tonight. So we've watched this whole thing that Jesus was, was being ex- just asked. So what does God have for me? What does eternal life look like? And, and he boiled it down to the simplicity. It's love God and love people. And then in many ways, we worked backwards up through it. So what does that look like to love people? What does that look like to love people? It looks like kind of getting past my comfort zones. It looks in this place where I just get to legitimately love people that God puts in my path. I mean, that, that, that's really how it's going to be worked out, and it's certainly where I need to get there. But then I need to love Him. That He's calling me into a space where that would be my life, and we just need to get there. Uh, we need to be in that space because nothing else will ever bring that. That you could have that one thing mentality where you could say, okay, if I could have one thing, if, if today there could be one thing I'd want that would be more important than anything else. It would be more important than again, success or healing or help or any other thing. If I have all of those things and I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. If I were to, if, if we could eradicate the COVID virus, if we could, you know, fix the financial problems of so many people, but we didn't have Jesus, they'd have nothing. If we have Jesus, if we can say, God, there's one thing I have, there's one thing I have, it's you. And, and none of those things, then we have everything we really absolutely need. And so I just want to call you to that tonight. I want to call you into a place that this idea of love God and love people would be both real but entirely practical. So I close with just telling you, I hope I haven't made it complicated, because here's my simple encouragement. Love the people God's going to put in your path. You want to, you want to love people? Then be present. Wherever, wherever that is in your life, say, God, show me. Open up my, my eyes, help me to see people around me, and help me love them. Just, just begin there and choose. And then choose the most important thing, which is being in God's presence, which is that relationship with Him. I just want to call you in a very practical way that that's how you would finish your day-to-day. That's how you would do tomorrow if we get it. Love the people that God puts in front of you and choose. Choose the most important thing in the world, which is to be in God's presence. So, Let's end there and ask God to give us help in that and and just draw us to that. Would you guys just join me as we ask God for that right now in prayer? Father, you see just our lives. And I love how simple, though it is incredibly deep and ultimately impossible in our own strength. But I do love how simple you've made it. Love God, love people. That is what life should look like for us. That's what we're made for. That's what this, this is the life that you have us to live. I think in the, in the account of the story of the Good Samaritan and how radical, how challenging. God, would you help us to be a people that seek to do that, to love the people that you put right in front of us. God, would you enable that? Would you, would you give strength in that? Would you cause us to be those who could walk in that Wow. And then, Lord, I think about this account with Mary, and I find myself just wishing I could say it better than I just said it. But, Lord, I know this. There's the most important thing in the world 
is that we could know you, that we could love you and find our heart, our life, our joy in you. God, you see those tonight who are distracted with much serving. Their brains, their hearts, their minds are just everywhere else. They're robbed. Would you rescue? Would you rescue from that and just bring us into a place of choosing the good things in life, the most important good that you'd have for us, which is to love you? Lord, bring us after that, each and every one of us. Show us how to do that and transform our lives into a place that we are seeking to spend our days loving you and loving people. I ask for help in that for all of us, but I ask for help in that for me. Lord, I I just admit to you, your standard is amazing. It's beautiful, it's high, but I fail. It's not a standard that I can accomplish in my own strength. Thank you for the forgiveness that's found in Christ. Thank you that you pay the price for our sin. And I cry out for any that are outside of that right now, that you'd bring them and, and just draw them to you. And then, Lord, in this relationship with you, would you draw us to really living eternal life? God, we pray for help. We ask for your work right now as we trust this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.